Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of NAJSCD Spotlight, a podcast. This is where we discuss educational topics in order to be a catalyst for conversation and action to ensure excellence in teaching, learning, and leading. This is Jan Yost, the Executive Director of NAJSCD, and your host for this episode. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of New Hampshire Spotlight. Today, I have the great pleasure of being joined by author, consultant, and New Hampshire ASCD member, Mike Anderson. Hi, Mike. Hi, Jen. How are you? I'm well. Thanks so much. Um, So, Mike, we're going to be talking today about such an important topic, health and balance in teaching and in education. Um, You've let me know that yourself struggled with wellness as a teacher. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Tell us your story. Sure. So before I became an education consultant and author, I was a classroom teacher for a long time. I taught third, fourth, and fifth grades for 15 years. And I remember at the beginning of my teaching career being completely overwhelmed and overworked. I was you know, working crazy hours, of course, because I was 22 and a knucklehead. I had taken on two coaching jobs along with being a fourth grade teacher my first year. So I would get to school early in the morning, work all day, go to the pool, coach for several hours, often go back to school until nine or 10 o'clock at night. I was working through the weekends, but, but I I kind of wore it like a badge of honor. You know, you're supposed to be overworked and crazy at the beginning of your career. And so there was a certain amount of pride that I got from being exhausted and overwhelmed. (laughs) But I think I also thought it was going to get better. So in those first couple of years when I was so overwhelmed, I kept having this vision of several years down the road of me pulling units out of some drawer that I would already have planned that I'd done before. And I would have weekends to rest and I would be going out with friends. <laughs> and, and if anything, I was more overwhelmed three, four or five years in than I had been my first couple of years. And then I got married and my wife and I started a family. And then I really started to fall apart. Um, At one point, we had two kids in diapers at the same time. My kids are 22 months apart. I was teaching fifth grade, and and I started to feel my professional fire dwindling. Um, I was crankier with my students. I was exhausted. I would get home from school, and I was a little cranky as a dad. And, um, And I really realized that I was burning out. And there was no way I was going to turn into one of those grumpy teachers sitting in the staff room griping about kids nowadays and can you believe these families? <laughs> yeah. Like there was just no way. So I've decided I either have to figure out how to get a handle on health and balance or I've got to get out of the profession because kids deserve better than, than what I worried I was heading toward. So I did this huge research project and it was really very selfish at first. It was about trying to help me figure out how to get a handle on stress and wellness. Um, So I interviewed lots of my colleagues, found that everybody was in the same boat. I started doing a lot of journaling, just trying to figure out what was it that was stressing me out, doing a lot of self-reflection. I read books and articles about health and balance. Um, At the time, I was a responsive classroom presenter in the summer. So in those big week-long workshops, I would say, hey, on a Tuesday, anybody want to talk about health and balance as a teacher? Come join me for lunch. And 20 people would show up. At one point, I tracked for an entire year the number of minutes being taken away from my teaching, from IEP meetings to half days for snow and, you know, 
throat checks down at the nurse's office, whatever. Anytime I couldn't teach, I tracked it because I was trying to figure out why I was feeling so incompetent, like I couldn't get everything done I thought I was supposed to get done. So I, I did this research project for several years and it ended up turning into a book. Um, not because I planned on writing a book, but because once I'd done all this research and I'd learned all of this stuff about how to better care for myself as a teacher, um, it was almost like I, I felt like I had to write it because I had all this information. So, so I did in the, end up, in the end really get some systems in place that allowed me to stay healthy and balanced as a teacher. It's not to say I was never stressed out again or overwhelmed, that still happened, but, um, but I absolutely developed some habits and routines that helped me thrive as a teacher. So that's the story. Wow, that's incredible. And I'm sure so many educators can relate to the stress you felt when you were first teaching. As you were talking, I was thinking about my own experiences when um, I first started teaching mm -hmm. uh, and the stressors that were associated with it. Um, good for you for being ahead of your time and, and logging so much information and really being reflective or self-reflective. Um, like I said, I think you were sort of ahead of your time. But, you know, I, well, I, I don't know if I was ahead of my time. You know, as I, as I think back on that, that was one of the big sort of ahas for me was that when I felt myself starting to fall apart, I kind of had this sense that maybe it was my fault or my problem that everybody else seemed to have their stuff together and why was I kind of crumbling? But then as I would pull colleagues aside and say, hey, can you share some information with me? Like, how do you stay healthy and balanced as a teacher? I didn't meet a single teacher who said, oh, I've totally got my act together. I feel totally right. healthy. Everybody was exhausted and overwhelmed, but everybody was kind of faking their way through it and sort of looked like they were holding on on the surface. But I think that was a big revelation for me was that it was that just about everybody was feeling the same way I was. You know, I, I, I'm thinking about what's going on right now. Mm -hmm. There is so much going on. Yeah. And I worry... Do teachers think they don't have the time for self-care? Um, you know, how do, they, how do they make the time? Yes, they do think they don't have enough time for self-care. And that's especially acute right now in the midst of a global pandemic with everything that we're all dealing with. But I will say that that has been an ongoing challenge. I mean, I've done work with teachers for years now on supporting health and balance. And that's sort of always the battle cry is I don't have time. And so one of the things that I learned was, I think when you're feeling overwhelmed and exhausted, when you're feeling like you don't have the energy you need, you know you should be exercising, but where do you find time for it? I think one of the, one of the things we run into is we look for these either quick fixes or we look for these really dramatic events. You know, I've got to turn my life around. I've got to really get into exercise and I need to join a gym. And of course, we're not joining gyms now. But, but I think what we do, I think back to when I was in my early 20s and how I handled credit card debt. <laughs> I think <laughs> this is what I would do. I would, um, I would end up with like $3,000 on a credit card. I would max out the credit card. And then I would say, oh my gosh, I've got to get a handle on my finances. And so I would bite the bullet. And for like four straight months, I would pour every penny I had into paying off my credit card debt. And so I'd pay off the credit card debt. And then I'd be like, phew, I did it. And then suddenly three months later, I would have maxed out my credit card again. And I think this is kind of what often happens with us with, with sort of life in general. What I wasn't doing was establishing good, healthy financial habits. And so I ended up in this cycle of, um, you know, getting way into debt and then paying it off through unsustainable measures 
you know, not going out at all and not saving. Um, and so I think when we feel like we don't have time for health and balance, I think that's maybe because we're setting our sights a little too high. So instead of thinking of, you know, I need to work out an hour a day, if we think, if I just walked for an extra 10 minutes per day, you know, 10 minutes of walking or 15 minutes of walking, that's something reasonable that we might carve out. And although it doesn't feel like a lot, boy, if you got outside and walked for 10 or 15 minutes every day, not only would you get 10 or 15 minutes of walking in, you know, half or three quarters of a mile, but, but you'd also get some fresh air. You'd have some time to disconnect from whatever's going on with everything else you're dealing with. I mean, that could be a real, that could make a real difference in how you feel each day. So that's one of the pieces of advice that I have for teachers is to don't try and set these gigantic goals, but think about really small changes you could make that aren't gonna feel yeah. earth shaking that will pile up into good results over time. You know, I, as a former administrator, Mike, as you talk about these things, um, I think they're so applicable to not only teachers, but to administrators, to paraprofessionals, to anyone involved in education, because Absolutely. we are all feeling those stressors. Absolutely. Um, I, I can't think of a, of a sort of segment of the profession that wouldn't feel stressed out and exhausted right now, um, or be struggling with some sense of incompetence or worry or fatigue. So, um, so yeah, whether we're classroom teachers or paraeducators or special ed support staff or administrators, um, we're all in this together. And mm -hmm. I will say that having worked with lots of administrators, I think administrators, if possible, might even be more, t more exhausted and burned out than teachers are right now. Yeah. Um, because they're feeling all the same stresses that teachers are, and then often are getting pressures from school boards and other administrators and are often trying to take the heat off of teachers from right. parents who are really upset. And that adds a lot to principals and school leaders plates. So yeah, absolutely. I agree. This is something we all need to pay attention to. Agreed. Agreed. Um, you talked about setting goals. Yeah. And it sounds like um, if you make them reasonable, so almost measurable goals for health and wellness, that's the direction um, one should go. Could you maybe speak a little bit more about what you think makes a good goal in the health and balance area? Yeah, so one is just what you were saying. We need to make it small and bite-sized so that it's doable. Mm -hmm. We get into trouble when we set unsustainable goals or goals that are so big that, um, that they're almost impossible. Another, another thing we should focus on is we should focus on making goals around habits, not around end outcomes. So let's take kind of an easy example. Let's say that a teacher is struggling with getting enough exercise and they know they need to be getting more movement and want to be phys more physically healthy. A common goal they might set would be to say, okay, I'm gonna lose 20 pounds. So that's an Gosh, end goal. Yeah. And this is, what I, this is what I recommend we not do. Cause it's sort of like going back to the credit card debt. You know, you lose the 20 pounds and you say, phew, I did it. And you celebrate with an ice cream or you, or you just don't go, you don't stay in the habits that, that it took to get you there. So my suggestion is make small goals around small changes to habits. So for example, if your goal is to be more physically active, then think about walking an extra 10 minutes per day. That's a small change that's not gonna lead to quick results, but over time, it's really gonna help. Um, if a goal is to eat a little bit more healthfully, 
Maybe you put two cups of, or two uh, teaspoons of sugar in your coffee every morning. You go to one. That might not seem like a big deal, but think about that over a year, if you have two cups of coffee every morning and you can take two teaspoons of sugar out of your coffee routine, that's saving 700 plus teaspoons of sugar in one year. I don't know how many teaspoons per (laughs) cup, but I'm imagining bags and bags of sugar piling up right now. Yeah. So that's my suggestion is to make goals that are small and bite-sized and that have to do with habits and routines so that it's not we're saying, you know, I'm going to do this for three months and lose 20 pounds because then where are you three months after that? Instead, it's my goal is to get a habit of walking a little bit more or a habit of having a little bit less sugar or a habit of writing down one thing each day that actually went well. You know, if you're struggling with a sense of competence, if you're just feeling like, oh my gosh, everything I do is, it's just not working. If you got into the habit of every day writing down one positive thing that happened, that really sort of focuses you on some of the good things that are happening. And after 180 school days, you'd have 180 positive things you could reflect on. So that's a small habit that it's not going to do a lot of good sort of right away. But the idea is we should be getting into healthier habits that'll do us good in the long run. I love the idea of writing something positive down because it just reaffirms all the wonderful things that educators are doing. And we all know as educators, our, our expectations for ourselves are unreasonably high. So we, tend, we tend toward perfectionism and being a perfectionist as an educator is a losing proposition. Like that's just bad. Um, and we tend to, you know, if 10 good things happen in a day, but we get one angry phone call from a parent, what are we stewing about when we go to bed that night? We can't get the parent phone call out of our head. We tend to focus on the negative things that happened. And so instead, I think we need to force ourselves. It's a little bit of a mindfulness routine to be mindful of some of the positive things that are happening and develop a ritual or a habit that will allow us to to remember those and focus on those as well. I love that. I'm taking that one down for myself. Great. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you. So just shifting just slightly um, from goals to um, some areas in in educator wellness that are really especially important now, especially given the craziness that's going on in the world in general? I think we've kind of been talking about two of them already. One is physical health. Okay. Um, One of the things that we need to be really mindful of is that sitting is not a good position for people to be in. Our bodies were not designed to be sedentary. Our bodies were designed to get up and move. And so Focusing on physical health right now is a really good thing to pay attention to, making sure we're getting enough water, making sure we're moving, making sure we're in good eating habits and not bad eating habits, trying to shift some of those bad ones. So I think that's one area. And I think another one right now that's especially important is competence. So when I was doing that research for the, you know, my, my own individual research project that turned into that book, The Well-Balanced Teacher, one of, the, one of the things that came as sort of this, it was a dope slap, you know, like, well, of course, but then it was also this aha moment was it seems like there are, there are all these different factors that lead to health and happiness at work. You know, the, your pay, your benefits, the colleagues you work with, the physical environment in which you work, all those are important. But there's one element, and this is not just in teaching, but that's across the board in all professions. If you don't have this one thing going on, you will burn out eventually no matter how good your pay is, no matter how good Mm -hmm. your benefits are. And it's a sense of competence. So if you don't think you're good at what you do, or you don't at least see a pathway toward getting better, 
you will burn out. And for me, this is one of the things that we most have to pay attention to right now because so many teachers are teaching in ways that I think are exacerbating feelings of incompetence. Sure. You know, if, if we're teaching online, it's hard to get feedback from students in the way that we're used to, especially yeah. if they have their screens off. If we're teaching in a hybrid model and we're only seeing kids half the time, um, it's really hard to feel like we're, we're doing everything we wanna do. And so I think especially paying attention to a sense of competence how do we find some small rituals and small habits that allow us to see the good things that are happening too? And I'll give you one example of a good thing. I will bet you a dollar that half the people at least listening to this podcast right now can think back to where they were a year ago and they can list five things about technology that they are now using with proficiency that they had no idea how to use this time last year. Like, I'm sure. I talked with one elementary school principal back in March when everybody was, when the world was crashing in and we were all making the shift. And he said, after three in-service days, this was in that gap between um, schools had closed and kids weren't back in, but the teachers were getting ready for remote teaching. He said, Mike, we have learned more in the last three days around technology with our faculty than we learned in the last five years combined. Wow, that's amazing. So, yeah, so we are learning a lot and we need to celebrate the fact that we are using things like Padlet or Screencastify, or Zoom, <laughs> you know, that we didn't know how to use a year ago. That's really important learning. And that could be great learning that we could then carry on with after the pandemic. You know, exactly. once we've got the vaccine, once people are back in schools, we have learned a lot that's gonna enhance our teaching. And so I think that's something that we could really pay attention to right now and celebrate um, to help us boost up our sense of competence a little bit. That's great, I agree. So. Um, do you have any tips for educators who are teaching remotely now? Especially for ones who are teaching remotely. Yeah. Um, so you, the last question you asked, I answered with our sort of physical needs and competence, but I think right. there's, another, there's another one there and it's especially important for remote teachers and it's a sense of belonging. Um, most of us got into the profession because we feel a deep need to connect with other people. We, we need to connect with our students. We need to connect with our colleagues. And I know I've been doing a lot of remote teaching myself through my consulting work over the last nine months. And one of the things I'm struggling with is a lack of connection with the people who I'm working with. It's really hard to feel connected with people when you're not physically with them. And so I think that for remote teachers, that's something we need to especially pay attention to is what are some small habits and routines we could get into that allow us to feel a sense of belonging and connection with others. And I have a couple of ideas, just things we might try. Such as? Well, one is that if we're struggling with a sense of belonging with our students and we're feeling like, boy, I just don't know my students like I normally do, as we're teaching remotely, we might have a notebook or an extra file or a document on hand where every time we hear a little something personal about that kid, we jot it down. So we're in a writing conference and they say something about going to their grandmothers. And we say, oh really, you went to your grandmothers? Do you go to your grandmothers a lot? Oh yeah, every weekend I usually go to my grandmothers. But we write that down. Oh, Billy goes to his grandmothers. Mm. Somebody else writes something about liking ice fishing and can't waiting for ice fishing season to open. We write that down. Because then if we've got that list handy and we can see, oh look at that, I am starting to build a bank of things that I know about these kids. And then if we see, ooh, I don't have anything written down about Jan yet. 
All right, so tomorrow when we have a reading conference, I'm gonna see if I can find out a little something more about Jan to connect. Like, so that's one habit we might make is to keep a record, keep jotting down little things that we're learning about our students um, that we didn't know otherwise and that don't necessarily have to do with their, their learning. And then if we're struggling with a connect, sense of connection with colleagues, one thing we might do is see if people would be up for something like a Zoom happy hour on a Friday afternoon. Uh, I've done this with some groups of consultants who, um, you know, we're sort of bonding together right now, trying to figure yeah. out the pandemic together. And that's something that we've done is every now and then we just get together for a front porch meeting is what one of them called it. It's like we're hanging on the front porch and you think, oh, good grief. The last thing I want to do is be on another conference call. But then once you're there and it's just social and you're hanging out with colleagues, it ends up being so fulfilling. So that's yeah. an idea of a habit we might try. Yeah. I've, I've done that with some friends, totally on a social basis. Um, and it is, it's awesome when you can't, you know, you're accustomed to connecting with them personally mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and can't. Yeah. Um, it's, it's great to have an alternative. We have been playing cards with my parents. Our family has. Every week or two, we go online and play a game of Oh Hell in the evening. Oh, and I love it's, it. It's been such a nice way to stay connected with my parents when yeah. it's hard for us to visit with them right now. Yeah. So again, you can, you can think, oh, geez, do I really want to get on the computer again? But then once you're there and you're chatting, I mean, it's worth it. And so, sure. so that's my suggestion for remote teachers is in addition to thinking about basic needs and competence, um, to also really pay attention to, are you meeting your needs for belonging and connection? Now, you've given us some tips for teachers. Yeah. What about leaders? Both this school is, and district yeah. leaders. Oh my gosh. Almost even more important because school and district leaders are often struggling with a sense of belonging and connection even more than teachers. This is something I've talked with multiple school leaders about. They'll say, you know, my teachers have each other, but when I have a bad day, I don't have anybody's office to go into. Right. <laughs> so true. Yeah. As as a former administrator, I totally understand that. Yeah, you're often really out there. You feel like you're on your own. And it's like everybody else comes in to unload on you, to let you know what things aren't going well or what they're struggling with. But who do you go to? So if you've got a colleague in the district who you can connect with, and again, think about a simple routine. You know, maybe it's every Thursday afternoon. You get together and you have a cup of coffee on Zoom and you yeah. just use it as your chance to unload and share and chat. Um, maybe it's that you find other people within the district, not just a building leader, but another a group of administrators who could get together. It might be that you tap into something on social media. You know, there are lots of groups out yeah. there that you might find either on Facebook or Twitter, Instagram for school leaders um, as a way of connecting with others. Because yeah, that's, that's almost harder for school leaders to meet their needs for belonging than it is for teachers. Yeah, I, I mean, I even think about superintendents. Yes. Build, building administrators, we sort of have each other. Yeah. Even if it's a small district, if it's a couple buildings, we have another person that we can go to. But typically there is a superintendent. And I, my heart goes out to them uh, because who do they go to? Like you said, who do they go to? It's not uncommon that when I'm doing consulting in districts, and now I'm talking about not just in a pandemic, but just in, in normal sure. times. If I end up in the office of a curriculum coordinator or a there superintendent or an yep. assistant superintendent, I end up doing a lot of listening because so often people in those roles are so 
craving somebody who can who can listen to them and who they can connect with right. that I end up um I don't want to say it's like a therapy session but but, but a little bit yeah right. a, a little bit it's just you know this person just needs to share and unload a little bit because they don't have the right. chance to do that right. um, and so if you're in one of those positions if you're a superintendent and you're listening to this I really recommend that you find some sort of habit you can get into that will allow you to do that whether it's you know there's another administrator in a nearby district or across the country somebody you met at a conference sure who you can stay in touch with um, I mean, I'll say that in my role as a consultant, it can be very lonely as well. Um, if you don't make the effort to find other like-minded colleagues who you can chat mm -hmm. with, you can spend way too much time in your own head and disconnected from others. Yeah. Um, and so that's something as a consultant I've really worked hard at, is I've nurtured, it's what my friend Allison Zamuda calls <laughs> campfire. Okay. You know, like, who are you going to put around your campfire? Who are the people yeah. you're going to toast marshmallows with and chat with? Oh, I love that. So, yeah, and, and, and if we don't do something intentionally, it, it might not happen. And so I guess that's part of the work that I do with health and balance in general, kind of going back to the biggest, bigger conversation, mm -hmm. is we have to be intentional about self-care. We can't just hope somebody else takes care of it. We can't wait until vacations to get rest. We need to be more intentional about meeting the needs that we've got, all in the service of our kids. That's one of the barriers we have is we think it's, we feel guilty if we take care of ourselves as educators, because I'm supposed to put my students first. Right. But this is a story I often share. When I was a teenager and I was getting my lifeguard certification, one of the lessons that really stood out to me in water safety instruction and a course you have to take is what to do if you're making a deep water rescue. So if you're at a beach or out on a river or something, and you're the one who's making the save, there's somebody drowning in deep water where you can't touch, what you're supposed to do is swim up to that person, but stop when you get about two body lengths away from them. And then you're supposed to try and talk them down from being panicked. So if they're really thrashing, I'm supposed to say, hi, my name is Mike. Oh, What's good luck. Your name? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, good luck. And if you can't do that, if they continue to panic, what you're supposed to do is wait until they're unconscious. Oh my gosh. Before you save them. And then you go in and grab them and you swim them into the beach and you try and bring them back through CPR. But the reason for that is no matter how good of a swimmer you are, no matter how strong you are, if you go in and try and rescue somebody who's all hopped up on adrenaline because they're panicked and drowning, you probably have two people drowning now instead of one. So the number one rule of being a lifeguard is you have to take care of yourself first. Not because you're selfish, but because your goal is to save somebody else. And you can't do that if you're drowning. And so that's, you know, for teachers, that's the big message is it's not selfish to take care of ourselves. Our kids desperately need us to be as well as we can be. And so self-care isn't selfish. It's a, way, it's a way we take care of our students. Well, there's another analogy that I'll, I'll put forward. And that's the airplane analogy, which I'm sure, you know, put the Absolutely. mask on first before you put it on your child or whomever. That's right. Because um, if, you, if you don't put your own mask on first, you might not be able to help the person who needs right. the assistance. Right. right exactly. On. So I know you put together some online courses about yep. self-care. Can you tell us a little bit about those? Sure. Um, it came out of the work that I was doing with one particular district this fall. And the district was really, um, we were working on social and emotional learning. And the teachers at one of the schools are very clear that it's really hard for us to think about taking care of our kids when we're not cared for ourselves. And so we need to focus on self-care a little bit. 
So I created what ended up being, I thought it was going to be one online course and it kind of exploded as I worked on it and it turned into five mini courses awesome. about health and balance as educators. How do we take care of ourselves? So what I did was I made one that was really short. It's about, it would take you maybe an hour to do the whole course. And it's all about healthy habits and routines. Some of what we were talking about a few minutes ago. And then there are four other short courses that each focus on different needs and, and um, sort of characteristics that we need to pay attention to. So one is all about the need for competence and making sure that we are, are getting a sense of competence met. Another one's about purpose. Um, so each of these mini courses is designed to support some aspect of educator health and balance um, to give teachers the opportunity to engage in some self-care. Because I often hear teachers say, my principal keeps telling me I'm supposed to be taking care of myself, but I don't know how to do that, or, <laughs> yeah. but I'm never given any time to do it. And so hopefully these online courses, they're all asynchronous so teachers can take them at their own time and at their own pace. Um, they're resources teachers could use to, um, to work on self-care if that's something they wanna do. I'm sure there's a listener right now saying, all right, so where can I go look at it? You know, where's there gonna be a link? Um, and I'll make sure I'll put a link to on the information on the descriptor of this podcast. Fantastic, thank you. Oh, you're welcome. So is there anything else you'd like to share with us? This has been so valuable. Yeah, I guess something I was just saying is that, you know, teachers are often saying that um, my administrators are telling me I need to take better care of myself, mm -hmm. but then they're never giving me time to do it. Um, and so I guess it's a message for administrators about ways that we can support teachers and really help nurture a sense of health and balance in faculty. So if you're a school leader and you're listening to this, I'm sure that you want your teachers to create safe and healthy learning environments for their students, because we know that's how students are going to do their best work. So as administrators, as school leaders, and I'll put myself in that category because I'm often helping to lead work in schools. Sure. As school leaders, we need to create safe and healthy work environments so that teachers can flourish because that's how our students are going to flourish. Of course. So I think there are two things that school leaders might pay attention to. One is, we kind of touched on this already, you got to take care of yourselves. You've got to lead by example, which means that you yourself need to work at some healthy habits. Um, you know, get, get enough sleep so that you can have the rest you need to deal with the stressors of the day. Get some movement and exercise so you've got some good oxygen flowing mm. to your brain. Um, do all those little self-care things that you also want your teachers to do. So you need to lead by example. And then the other thing is, is to work at carving out some time and space for teachers to engage in some self-care as well. But I will say this is a delicate balance because as I've helped lead this work in schools, teachers are often really appreciative of some time to devote to self-care and health and balance. But if you give them too much time, they start to get grumpy because then they say, I've got so much work to do. I don't want to spend all this time talking about myself. I want to work on, you know, I got papers yeah. I need to look at or lessons I need to do. So my suggestion for school leaders is to find a way to kind of drip in little moments of self-care. For example, in a faculty meeting, carve out five or 10 minutes for people to be able to connect with each other socially and just gain a sense of belonging, even if it's through a Zoom breakout room, five minutes to share about something you're looking forward to about the weekend at the beginning of a faculty meeting. If you're in person and you're providing snacks for teachers, provide healthy snacks, not candy. That can be a way. That's sort of the classic, <laughs> yeah, I know. you know, schools. We, 
we, we often have junky foods at staff meetings and we've got piles of cupcakes and brownies in the teacher's room. Um, we should pay attention to that stuff because you know, we, we're often working and struggling to stay healthy, but then when we mm -hmm. bring in that kind of junky food to take care of each other, I think that's, that's hard. So my suggestion is if you're a school leader, to think about um, small ways that you can sort of make self-care a habit. Think about mm -hmm. that as a habit you can use yourself, um, is how do you, in small moments, give teachers the opportunity to practice some self-care and to meet some of those emotional needs that are so important for them to meet. This is awesome. Thank you so much, Mike. Um, can you let people know how they may connect with you? Sure, absolutely. My, my website is probably the easiest landing point, and that's leadinggreatlearning.com. Okay. And then once you're on my website, then you'll see, you know, I've got a blog on there and I've written some books. You could check those out. Um, there are links to online courses that people could check out. I'm also on Twitter, and on Twitter, I'm at Balanced Teacher. And then I also have a Facebook page that I, that I use to support teacher health and balance. So it's really specifically about teacher health and balance, and it's, it's called the Well-Balanced Teacher. So if you look up Well-Balanced Teacher on Facebook, that's a resource teachers might connect with also. But probably my website is the, the easiest place to go. And then my email is mike at leadinggreatlearning.com. But then you can also find that on my website. Yeah. I'll make sure to add um, a lot of this information again in the description. but. Just Wonderful. in case somebody didn't see it, I wanted them to hear it directly from you. Absolutely, thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Um, no, thank you, Mike, for um, a wonderful opportunity um, for all of us, because I think everything that you've, you've said absolutely is applicable to educators, but I think it's applicable to the population in general. So. Uh, yeah, well, and thank you so much, Jan, for giving me the chance to come on and share some of this, because I agree, I think that health and wellness is something that is, um, is really hard for us in general in society right now. Mm -hmm. And it's such an important topic. And so if I could just reiterate something I said earlier, it'll be my parting, my parting shot as we finish <laughs> okay. off the podcast. Okay. To, to people out there feeling overwhelmed and exhausted and run down, remember, don't try and make these giant Herculean changes, but think about just small little changes that you can make to your routines and your habits that, that won't be dramatic, but that, they'll, that you can do them. And then those will pile up over time. One thing I've found about habits is, good habits are no harder to keep than bad habits. Because that's the idea behind habits is that they, you're, you're running on autopilot. It's something that's automatic. And so the idea is we wanna get into the right ruts. We wanna get into the right habits that will lead to a healthier outcome in the end. And so, so don't beat yourselves up if you're struggling right now. We're all struggling, it's really hard. Um, and instead, just think of maybe small things you could do that will, that will help you feel healthier in the long run. Well, I know people on the podcast can't see this, but I'm going to toast you with my bottle of water. <laughs> <laughs> um, and thank you for all the information. Um, this was so enjoyable. I hope the listener found, uh, finds it valuable. I am sure they will. Um, so with that, Mike, um, thanks so much. Um, and this will be posted very shortly. Great. Thank you. And you're welcome. Oh, you take care of yourself. And I know right. you will. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of NHASCD Spotlight. I really enjoyed talking with Mike about the importance of health and balance in teaching. If you're interested in Mike's Institute, 
Beat Teacher Burnout and are an NHASED member, you can get a 25% discount on the bundle of courses or individual courses. All you have to do is contact me, Jan Yost, at NHASCD at NHASCD.org in order to get the discount code. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and please don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes.